0: One of the problems I see in our world today, for so many people, is that they question whether God is real or not, and in their questioning, they decide that, I'm just not going to investigate it any further. I'm going to stop exposing myself to the truth that can set me free, and I'm going to live in the darkness. And you're not going to find the light in the darkness. Sure, it can happen, but you have far greater chance of getting a quicker resolve by staying in the light. Walking in the light of Jesus, it assures us that we have this light of life.
1: Do in your life he can get rid of pain and get rid of strife
0: all you got to do is let go and let go so today we're going to look at a message i titled he must increase and we're going to see in point one he who believes verses 17 through 21 in point two i must decrease verses 22 through 30 And our final point, Everlasting Life, verses 31 through 36. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we'd open our hearts to receive anything that you would have for us today. Prick our hearts, Lord, that we might serve you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So he says in verse 20, everyone practicing evil hates the light. It does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And when it comes to this world, not all light is the same light. Jesus said, as we already looked at, I am the light of the world. But there are some false lights out there, some number of false lights, and Satan is the greatest of these. Sadly, Christians conduct themselves more like the pirates of the seven seas, trying to move skillfully between darkness and light. And Isaiah 5.20 tells us, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who for bitter sweet, and sweet for bitter. We're to be those who are doing the light, that our deeds might be clearly seen that they have been done in God. It's important to follow the true light, the light of Jesus Christ. We're to be about doing the light. Last week, as we closed out the message, when I was in my early 20s, where I struggled in my faith, wondering if I was saved or not. And one of the things that I did during that time that I think was probably the most healthy thing, in the midst of my struggles, I kept going to church. I kept doing the things that I'd been taught as a child. I was a young adult, and I didn't stop exposing myself to the light. One of the problems I see in our world today for so many people is that they question whether God is real or not, and in their questioning, they decide that I'm just not going to investigate it any further. I'm going to stop exposing myself to the truth that can set me free, and I'm going to live in the darkness. And you're not going to find the light in the darkness. Sure, it can happen, but... You have far greater chance of getting a quicker resolve by staying in the light. Walking in the light of Jesus, it assures us that we have this light of life. Jesus said in John 1.4 that, well, John wrote concerning him, John 1.4, in him is life, and the life was the light of men. Again, John wrote in John 1.9 that this was the true light that gives light to every man coming in the world. And Jesus said in John 9, verses 4 and 5, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is that true light that shines in the darkness. And I just want to encourage you to stay in the light, to walk with Jesus, grow in your faith. And if you have struggles, well, he'll help you work through those things our brother and sister will come alongside you to help you work through those things but it's good to be exposed to the light and it's good to know that those who believe in Jesus no longer stand condemned before God what we find in verses 22 through 30 got a little shift in the storyline here in John's gospel And we find what I titled I Must Decrease. I'll read the context, verses twenty two through thirty. After these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Enon near Silim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourself bear witness with me that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease." So there was this dispute going on that John tells us about here. The dispute, it seems to be, uh, he mentions the Jews disputing about purification, but also it seems that the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Jesus had a little thing going on at this point too it's tough when the crowds kind of leave and go somewhere else. And that's what was happening with John the Baptist. He was still baptizing. He was still preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, both John and Jesus was preaching this same message. And for a little while, the ministries of John and Jesus overlapped. And we read this in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. And here's a key point, verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. That when it says Jesus was baptizing, it was actually his disciples doing the baptizing with the people. But we find that there was this dispute going on. And they were contending with the Jews about purification. And we looked at this In chapter 2, that the purification of the Jews, it was a big deal for them. Orthodox Jews, uh, they had all these customs, these manners, these traditions, as we find in Mark 7, verses 3 and 4, that they would wash their hands in special ways, and they did not eat unless they washed in a special way. And their argument, though, seemed to be about the baptism, the baptism of John versus the baptism of Jesus. And the baptism that was taking place at the waters there in the Jordan. In 1 Peter 3.21 it tells us that there is also an antitype that saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh. But the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have the baptism of repentance that John and Jesus right now were actively engaged in those who were following them. Not a believer's baptism. Jesus was engaging with John, preaching the same message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, that John was preaching. And they were baptizing those who were coming to them. It was a baptism of repentance, preparing people's hearts to receive that which the Lord was the work he was going to do through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. John's baptism was a sign of people's hearts turning toward God. Therefore, the baptism of repentance was a baptism of preparation. They were pointing others to Jesus. That's what John did. That's what his ministry was always about. He must increase and I must decrease. John would explain to them, in verses 27 and 28, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourself bear witness with me that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John's saying, don't worry about it. I've already told you I'm not the Christ. This is the ministry that I had from the Lord. John came according to Luke 1:17, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He came at Jesus' first coming, according to Malachi 4, 6, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their father. Yet John's greatest privilege was to introduce Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John reminded them of his earlier testimony, I'm not the Christ, which refers to the Anointed One or the Messiah. John's message was to call people to repentance, saying that the kingdom of God was at hand. He stirred the hearts of the Jewish people concerning the Messiah's coming. In Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 4, the mission of John was a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain shall be brought low, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places made smooth. So John was that forerunner of Christ, like any king that traveled during those days. He would send his servants out to make the smooth path before the king. They called him the king's highway. You don't want any potholes where the king is traveling. And John came to smooth out the prideful, to straighten out the crooked hearts of the wicked, to smooth out their roughness, that he might reveal their glorious king, Jesus. But he called himself a friend of the bridegroom. He said he rejoiced to hear the bridegroom's voice. And he said, this has been my joy, and my joy is fulfilled. the story of John, although it's found in the New Testament, John was more of an Old Testament prophet. He kind of fits the character of an Old Testament prophet. That's why he calls himself a friend of the bridegroom. His privilege was to introduce Jesus, that others might look to Jesus and be saved. That's why he said in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You know, it wasn't about, for John, it wasn't about how many people heard his preaching, how many people were being baptized by him. Maybe there was something at the beginning of his ministry that concerned him, but once Jesus came, It was about pointing others to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the same should be true for us. It's not about how many people attend a church, how many people follow us on Facebook, but about pointing others to Jesus. It's like the four friends who brought their friend to Jesus. When they came to bring their friend to Jesus, and we learn in Luke 5, verses 17 through 26, They found the house where Jesus was at was overcrowded. There was no entry. No one could get in. Barely anyone could probably get out. And so we know that these friends, they wanted to get their friend to Jesus so bad that they went up on the roof of that house, a flat roof. They uh, removed some of the panels that they could lower their friend before Jesus. They used a bit of effort, a lot of energy, A little ingenuity, some extreme measures. Can you imagine sitting in church and suddenly plaster starts falling from the ceiling? Somebody's opening up a hole up there. And Jesus gave credit to the man's salvation because of the faith of the four friends. No doubt there was uh, a part that the sick man played in being healed and believing, but Jesus Acknowledge that it was the faith of the four friends. You know, our mission is to point others to Jesus, that they might be saved. We are to be a people who live other-centered lives in service to Jesus. In order that others might find healing and forgiveness that we ourselves have already found. And in verses 31 through 36, we close out with everlasting life. In verses 31 through 36, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. And he who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. And the father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides upon him. So the heaven heavenly versus earthly. He who is from above referring to Jesus, He's the one who came from heaven. He's the only begotten Son of God. In John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus is above all. In John chapter 1, verses three and four, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus also testified the very words of God, those things that he heard, he also testified. And Jesus said in John 8:26, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. Jesus giving the very words of his father. And the one who is from the earth here, it's referring to John the Baptist. He was the earthly one. Like John, we have been given a choice to receive Jesus' testimony concerning himself. And those who receive his testimony, we, by receiving it, certify that God is true. That word for certified, um, in the Greek, it refers to putting the mark on someone, the signet ring that they would use back in their day. We certify that God is true. In 1 John 5, verse 9, and also verses 11 and 12, it says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son, does not have life. And that written by John in 1 John chapter 1, a very recurring theme that we find in chapter 3 of John's Gospel. The necessity of knowing Jesus and having life versus not knowing Jesus and not having life. In verses 34 and 35 of our text, it says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, God sent his son Jesus to declare the truth, being fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think there in verse 34 refers to Jesus specifically, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Remember, John said that he did not know who the Messiah was, but he who sent me told me that when I came baptizing, that he of whom I saw the Spirit descend upon him and remain, that that was him. And John said in John 1.34, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Jesus didn't receive a little bit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism and remained upon him, giving evidence that John was able to testify that this is the Son of God. God does not give the Spirit by measure, meaning that the Holy Spirit was fully upon him, the son of God, God, the Holy Spirit, fully upon God, the son. Jesus was unlike any who had come before him or after him. He is the beloved of the father. God said of him in Matthew three seventeen, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that was at his baptism and in Matthew seventeen five, at his transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. All things. The Father loves the Son. All things have been given into his hand. Colossians 1.15 through 18. That he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in the heaven and that are on the earth. Invisible, invisible. Whether thrones, dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. And life, everlasting life, only comes through Jesus. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Again, it's just like we read from John three sixteen: He who believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You have it. He who believes, in verse 36, in the Son, has everlasting life. You have it. Faith in Jesus Christ brings you into salvation. It's not a step towards salvation. I think that's one of the mistakes that people often make, thinking it's one of the steps towards salvation. If there's additional steps needed, it means that we're working our way to God. And there's no work that we can do other than believing in that Jesus had completed everything necessary for our salvation. Our response, then, is to live for him. Our response, then, is to give glory to him. Our response, then, is to grow in our faith that we might go and tell others about Jesus. It's only through faith in Jesus that we have everlasting life. So he who believes, our first point, we have seen that those who believe in Jesus no longer stand condemned before God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, but you still feel condemnation from the Lord, that's not the Lord, that's you. And what I would encourage you to do is to stand upon the word of the Lord, that the Lord says that you're not condemned. I'm not condemned, Lord. I'm not saying that you continue on in the things that go against God's word if you're doing something like that. But if you are, as scripture told us, those who do, in verse 21, those who does the truth, you have a practice of walking in fellowship with God that don't allow Satan to condemn you. Remind him that you are the Lord's and that in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Our second point teaches us that we must decrease. Like John the Baptist, perhaps his second most famous saying where he said in verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. Our mission is to point others to Jesus that they might be saved. It's not about our popularity contest of Christianity. It's about pointing others to Jesus, that they might have the final point, everlasting life. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that Anyone is saved. Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And I pray, Lord, that we would have just the surety of salvation that you have promised in your word if there are those who are doubting those things today. I pray that you would work in their their hearts and give them such surety. Lord, also, if there are, are some, Lord, who's never called upon the name of the Lord that they might be saved. Lord, that they've never received salvation and today you've reminded them because they've never asked to receive you into their heart, they stand condemned. And Lord, if that individual or individuals no longer desire that condemnation, may you encourage them, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, to respond that they might be saved, that they might have everlasting life. And Lord, for us who are believers, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the attitude of John the Baptist, that we might say he must increase and we must decrease, that we might point others to your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. In all that we do, we pray in the name of Jesus.